Welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament lectionary podcast for lovers of the Hebrew Bible around the world. I'm Dr. Tim McNinch from Christian Theological Seminary. And I'm Reverend Dr. Rachel Wren from Trinity Lutheran Seminary at Capital University. The first reading for this week is Exodus 20, verses 1 through 17. We have a couple of great episodes on this text, especially our interview with Carmen Imes. That was just totally changing for me in thinking about and preaching and teaching this text. So I would highly recommend hitting up that episode once you finish this one. But we have no episode yet on Psalm 19. So, Tim, you're going to take up that amazing poem for this third week of Lent? You betcha. There's nothing intimidating about talking about psalms uh, sitting across from a psalm <laughs> scholar, So, uh, but I'll do my best. Two thumbs up, you'll be great. <laughs> this psalm, Psalm 19, has always been one of my favorites. It's one that I remember from my childhood, really. Growing up in my community, I, I read this as a kind of an ode to the inerrancy of Scripture. Huh. Uh, I, I don't quite read it that way today, <laughs> but it's it's still just an amazing and lovely poem. Yeah, it really is. So so maybe right out of the gates, just a little pitfall to, to toss in here. I love preaching from the Psalms, but I always feel a little weird about it. Like, I want to be careful not to deconstruct the poetry so much that it, it loses its zing, you know? Yeah. It's sort of like a joke loses its punch when it's explained. These these poetic psalms, especially ones like this that have such great imagery, mm-hmm. they can sometimes lose their luster if they get you know picked apart too much, just down to some sort of principle or you know yeah. theology or something. Yeah. So hopefully we can give you just enough picking to help us <laughs> understand what's going on here, but still keep some of the mystery alive in this poem. Uh, yeah. So what about this poem in particular? Let's not tie it to a chair and beat it until it discloses its meaning. But where do you want to <laughs> nudge it, or where do you want to kind of enter into it? Yeah, well, one of the things that really shines in this poem is its structure. Mm-hmm. It's a highly structured poem. And, you know, the free verse has its place and it's wonderful. But for my money, like a good sonnet, it has its, mm. this sort of special beauty. Mm-hmm. And in the same way, this poem has this really beautiful structure. And it's worth sort of, of pointing out. Nice. So the first thing, which is pretty common throughout Hebrew poetry, is what we tend to call parallelism. That's the sort of basic device that's used here of these sort of repeated lines, these couplets, where you have one thought and then the next thought basically says the same thing, just in a slightly different way. Scholars call this synonymous parallelism, mm-hmm. where, the, where the second line restates the first and gives it a kind of shape or dimensionality. I think about this this technique sort of like when you go to the museum and see a Van Gogh painting mm. and you get up close to it and you see the the thickness of the strokes, yeah, how it's actually nice. three-dimensional on the canvas. Yeah. This is something that happens with Hebrew poetry in the use of parallelism. kind of gives this dimensionality to mm. a line by looking at it one way and then a slightly different way kind of brings the same idea out, makes it pop off the page a little bit. Nice. So so that happens all throughout this. So if as you're reading through it and trying to understand what's going on, it's not just being repetitive, mm-hmm. right? It's it's giving this sort of shape and dimensionality to the ideas that it's that it's giving. 
Yeah, no, that's nice. I love that idea of dimensionality. Sometimes I'll talk about it in terms of rhyme as well, that Hebrew poetry mm-hmm. doesn't rhyme sounds, it rhymes meaning. So what yeah. you're actually hearing there is a function of rhyme and poetry. But yeah, I love but... The, the Van Gogh image. That's great. Mm-hmm. With rhyming thoughts. There are two major sections in this poem. The first one is this ode to heavenly bodies, mm. especially the sun. And then the second part is an ode to divine law, Torah. Mm-hmm. And I usually translate Torah as instruction. But in this poem, law actually works relatively well because the word Torah is put in a category or, or may, might be the category label for a bunch of parallel concepts in that second half, like nice. decrees, precepts, commandments, ordinances. Mm-hmm. So there's a celebration here in the second section of God's laws, God's instructions, you know, widely described. I think that's really helpful to think, to look at the parallelism, to draw out what Torah is doing here. And the word that just popped in my mind was the way we celebrate healthy boundaries, that by giving the Torah, God established healthy, life-giving, nurturing boundaries for the community in which they could thrive. And, And that's one of the aspects of Torah that's really being lifted up here as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So you lined out that they've got these two sections. What do the two sections have to do with each other? How are they in conversation? Yeah, that's the question that you're forced to ask when you have these two Mm. sections really just bumped up right next to each other, right? And one of the ways of understanding that, the way that I sort of always learned growing up, was that there's a there's a movement here from talking about what theologians might call general revelation, the way that God's revealed in the in the creation, in the skies, you know, in the heavenly bodies and the sun and all of that 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 speech that they give off without words is mm. a revelation of of who God is. And then there's a movement from from that general revelation into a kind of special revelation, particular mm. revelation that God gives through this, this Torah, these instructions and laws, etc. So that's one way to think about it, the movement from general to special revelation. Yeah. But there's another way you might look at it, rather than just sort of steps from one to the next, thinking about how they're both talking about something similar. And what I might bring in here is something that comes from a little bit of research that I've done, particularly thinking about ways that other parts of the world around ancient Israel thought about the heavenly bodies and the sun Mm. in particular. For ancient Canaan and surrounding kingdoms, the sun, known as Shemesh or Shamash, here in the poem it's Shemesh, was a deity, Mm -hmm. not just a fixture in the skies, but a deity who was known as the god of just law-giving. Mm-hmm. So some of you out there might be familiar with the, the law of Hammurabi. And there's a, there's a famous giant stela, like a big pillar, mm-hmm. that has some of that law code inscribed on it. And at the top is this pictorial relief, which pictures the god Shemesh, Shamash, h- handing the responsibility for law to King Hammurabi mm-hmm. as a mm-hmm. representation that, that justice resides with Shamash. Mm -hmm. So the fact that this poem in our Psalm 19 celebrates the presence of Shemesh, the the way that Shemesh is over all the land from end to end, and nothing can escape from the shine of the Shemesh, Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. and then goes into talking about just laws might not be a coincidence. There might be a, a sort of echo of those cultural understandings of the connection between these heavenly bodies and the sun in particular and the kind of divine justice that we experience on the human level. It also helps you know, us to make sense of other texts like, Lord, let the light of your face shine upon us. I, I would mm-hmm. never say that to anybody. Let the light of your face shine upon me because that would be weird, first of all. But also it wouldn't <laughs> make a whole lot of sense. Right. But if there's this sort of understanding in the water, so to speak, of ancient Israel, of the sun as having to do with the deity, that would make sense then why that image might be taken up here in a, in a pan of praise to God especially one that has to do with laws. That's right. So this celebration of the unavoidability of the sun's gaze and the speech of the heavenly bodies that's in the first six verses is kind of a a pictorial representation, an imagery of the kind of superlative, inescapable nature of God's justice that are expressed in the laws of Israel, which are celebrated in the second half. Yeah. Give us a tan of justice. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So I also have to just mention that this second section is so tightly structured. It's it's like extreme parallelism. There's not just a couplet here, but there's this whole litany that has this identical structure. And one of the things I like to do with these kinds of, of litanies, if you were to like put them in a, I don't know, a spreadsheet or something <laughs> where you have each element in its own box and the poem reads sort of left to right, left to right, left to right. You can read this chart vertically, read oh, down, nah, because yeah. because this is, is parallelism, these concepts, these ideas are meant to be kind of synonyms or rhymes of each other. And so it, you can think about this basically making one point. <laughs> it's not saying 12 different things. It's saying one thing, you know, mm-hmm. with, with mm-hmm. extremeness. Mm-hmm. So here in this poem, God's law or decrees precepts, commandments, fear, ordinances, that whole thing is perfect, sure, right, clear, pure, true. Mm. It just all builds like Mm -hmm. that. They revive the soul. They make wise the simple. They rejoice the heart. They enlighten the eyes. They endure forever. They're altogether righteous. Mm -hmm. There's a cadence to it, you know, in the the building up of of these lines, which which is really great. To do it that way really highlights the like snowball effect of this. It's not just this, but also not just this, but also, you know, like someone getting really excited and just blowing up with what is going on in this poem. Yeah. Like I said, if a parallel couplet makes an idea pop, then this kind of like extreme parallelism just makes this all jump right off the page. Yeah, right. Well, hey, I always love a good poetic analysis, but how might you suggest preaching this this snowball effect of a poem? Yeah, right. You know, one thing that comes to mind for me, it may seem kind of odd, and you referred to this a little bit in the beginning, it may seem a little odd for Christians to get so excited about the law of the Lord, <laughs> right? For many of us in our sort of theological systems, law is the thing that's overcome mm. by God's grace through Jesus, right? Thank you, Paul. And and Luther. <laughs> right. However, here, as in much of the Hebrew Bible, as in a, you know, another way to read Paul, I might say. Yeah. Law is not something bad or something oppressive or something that holds us back. 
Law is a gift of God. Law itself is God's right. grace to us. Yeah. So there's nothing here in this poem about grace superseding or overcoming the law. It's all grace. And in the beauty of this poetry, it's all beautiful. Mm-hmm. So it's worth pondering, and preachers could do a little of this pondering for their congregation. I would recommend doing some with the congregation as well. Ooh. What does it look like for us to cherish God's laws for us today? What are the divine laws or divine principles that we would write a poem to celebrate? That's really helpful. You know, and, and again, to kind of go back to one of the images we started with, you know, healthy boundaries. If you are in relationship with someone who has healthy boundaries and who helps set healthy boundaries for the relationship, you know they are trustworthy, they will be faithful, they are reliable, they will be honest. Like all of the good things that we love come not from anarchy, but really from this sort of marking off of space to allow something to thrive. So I I think that's a really neat idea to think about the divine principles that we would write a poem to celebrate and then kind of think about this poem in that way. Mm -hmm. And for churches like the one that I go to, I think the one that you go to, others that that really prize justice and social justice Mm -hmm. as one of the key expressions of God's reign in the world, Mm-hmm. That's one way of understanding this concept of, of God's instruction. It's that kind of healthy boundary. It's a gift of, of rightness, of justice, of, yeah. of putting the world together like it ought to be mm. that is being celebrated here. And man, that, that deserves some poetry. Nice. Also, you know, the, the tone of this whole poem is just so refreshing <laughs> and enlivening, right? And so often I feel like when we talk about divine laws, we use weird voices. (laughs) Yes. And and we use them to chastise others, to sort of demoralize, to show people where they're wrong and to, to, you know, tell them that they need to shape up. But there's actually none of that here. It's not, you know, the, the law of the Lord is, oh, it hurts so much, but I'll try to do better. You know, (laughs) (laughs) this is just a celebration of the gift of God's justice. And I, I think that sort of attitude or tone that we get in this poem, if that could spread into our communities a little bit, when we think about the, the justice of God as being an expression of God's goodness, I think that could spread out into our communities. Oh, lovely. Well, folks, I hope this was as fun for you as it was for us. That is going to bring us to the end of this episode. But we'll be back next week with more tools and tips for preaching from the Hebrew Bible. Maybe another psalm. We could go three for three. Who knows? (laughs) First Reading is produced by Tim and me, along with Rosie Candithal and Paul Asa. We keep all of our back episodes in a searchable feed on the website, firstreadingpodcast.com. You can interact with us there or find us on social media. If you want to help us, maybe give the nudge to that omniscient algorithm that moves us to the top of people's feeds, write us a quick review on Apple Podcasts. And if you really want to make our day, help sponsor this work with a donation or maybe purchase some merchandise, which you can also find on our website. Thank you all for spending this time with us. Until next time, I'm Rachel Wren. And I'm Tim McNinch. Happy Lent. Is that a thing? Happy Lent. <laughs> it should be now. Happy preaching.